The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to the Pharisees, I am going away, and you will look for me, but you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, He is not going to kill himself, is he? Because he said, Where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, You belong to what is below. I belong to what is above. You belong to this world, but I do not belong to this world. That is why I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, What I told you from the beginning. I have much to say about you in condemnation, but the one who sent me is true. And what I heard from him I tell the world. They did not realize that he was speaking to them of the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will realize that I am, and that I do nothing on my own, but I say only what the Father taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, because I always do what is pleasing to him. Because he spoke this way, many came to believe in him. The Gospel of the Lord. All right, be honest. How many of you thought at the end of that gospel reading, that's exactly right because Jesus speaks this way, my faith is stronger? This is one of those odd eruptions in the gospel of John where the Lord says something that is, as we first hear it, mysterious, confusing, we wonder what he's getting at and what the meaning could possibly be. And then the evangelist finishes it off was, and this is what made people believe. And we stop and say, what did I miss? Or perhaps what's missing in me that I'm so not seeing this. Our readings today are a critically important combination of texts for understanding the mysteries that will be unfolding before us in up, this upcoming Holy Week. The reading from the book of Numbers, again, one of those passages of scriptures that doesn't tend to make our top five list when we name our favorite books of the Bible, is one of the most critically important texts for understanding the mystery of the cross of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Lord himself refers to it in our gospel reading today. So let's begin there. In the wilderness of Kadesh, as Israel is moving toward the end of its sojourn in the desert, it's been 40 years. And 
And as we see time and time again, as Israel moves through the desert, there's an eruption of suspicion and lack of trust and frustration. And they've done this time and time again, and one can say at least they're consistent, and so are we. And so here they are, one more time, they're exhausted, they're confused. They don't know exactly when this ends. They are in a wasteland. Nothing is growing here. And they're tired of the manna that comes down from heaven each day for them. They've gotten too used to it. It's not as special as it seemed anymore. And so in their frustration, they find themselves, as they always do, looking backwards. All of these things we've had to give up. And giving them all up, where did it get us? It got us here where nothing grows. Why did you bring us here that we would starve? Why did you bring us here that we would die? Why can't we get a break from this wretched food? This is not the first time They've said these things. And however often the Lord has responded in the past, still there comes that moment where they forget all of that. And all they see is the wasteland in which they find themselves. And if we're honest with and about ourselves, what we see with Israel and Moses in the desert speaks volume about the state of the human heart and even about the spiritual movement of the heart through a time like Lent where we lay things aside, we give things up. We begin with a certain enthusiasm knowing we are moving toward the celebration of the victory but there becomes that part in the middle or the back end of the season where it's a grind. And we begin thinking and counting the days to when I can have that cup of coffee again. And what we're doing is we're getting ready to give up what we've been doing. We don't put it that directly, that boldly, that nakedly, but it creeps into the heart. And there can be those moments when we're trying to grow spiritually where the result that that movement to growth produces doesn't feel good. I find myself off-center, alone, and frustrated. And here I am starving in the desert, and the Lord has His grace ready to feed me. And I'm like Israel of old that says, not manna again. Not my rosary again. Not prayer again. Really, can't we have something else? This again. It's important as we hear these passages from Scripture to recognize that they don't just speak about somebody else's failure, somebody else's unfaithfulness, somebody else's stubbornness. They speak of man's stubbornness, even with the greatest and best of things. 
And so it happens here that Israel turns its back again in suspicion on the Lord. He hasn't brought me to life. He's brought me to something else. And I'm going to be abandoned, and I'm going to starve here, and I'm going to die here. And all of a sudden, without anybody directly saying it, I become convinced that the Almighty's intentions are not good for me. And this is where Israel finds itself. And so to snap them out of this as they recognize, the serpents come. They bite the people. The people get sick. They begin to die. And it's only then, curiously, when they have real desperation, not the artificial, the manufactured desperation of their insecurities, that they now turn to the Lord and say, help us. They realize now that the Lord bringing them into another moment, more painful, yes, but the pain was necessary to open their eyes and their hearts to see that they do, in fact, need the Lord. And when they call out in need to him, there is a response. And what is the response? The Lord says to Moses, Make a bronze or a brass copy of that snake. Put it on a pole and lift it up high so that everybody can see it. And then plant that pole where all in the community can't miss it. So that when they look there, healing can come to them. But when they look at that pole and they see the snake on the pole, what do they see? They see the reminder, one, of their unfaithfulness, which is what has wounded them. They see the reminder of the punishment that they cannot bear when the Lord leaves them alone. And they see that as they acknowledge that, healing comes. And the Lord refers to this in those passages in the gospel where he speaks of his own being lifted up. When I am lifted up and you will look upon me, not a serpent that stings you, but on me whom you nail to the cross, what will you see? What will we see when we gaze upon the cross on Good Friday? And what should confront us, what we should see, is the terrible destruction that sin causes to human dignity and human life. And we should see what we have done to ourselves by means of our own wickedness. And we should see the chastisement, the punishment that we are not strong enough to endure but that he endures for us. And as we see this reminder of our guilt, and we see this reminder of our weakness, and we see this reminder of how badly we have disfigured the image of God in which we have been created, we, like Israel of old, on seeing him there, can call out and healing and mercy and goodness and forgiveness 
can be ours. What a remarkably powerful image the Lord is setting before the Pharisees, the Jews, here in the Gospel reading. But he goes even beyond that. He says, when I am lifted up, something else will be visible. You will not see those things about yourself and about the world. You will see that I am. That I am the one who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. That I am the one who pulled Israel out of Egypt with mighty hand and outstretched arm. That I am the one who brought water from the rock in the desert that I am the source of the manna that rained down from heaven, and that I am the one who is with you and who saves you. You will see the face of the love of God in all that I bear for you. This is what is lurking behind that statement because he spoke this way. The people believed in him. He spoke to something deep and fundamental about human life and its need for God and about God and his patience and his faithfulness. And so we are left then with those words with which Jesus begins as he speaks to the Pharisees and their sobering words. You will seek me, but you will not find me. You will die in your sins. There are two ways of seeking the Lord. One produces life, and the other, as Christ identifies here, produces death. The apostles seek the Lord. The needy, the wounded, the broken seek the Lord. The sinner in need of forgiveness seeks the Lord. He will find the Lord and will find life. But the Pharisees seek the Lord to do away with him. They seek the Lord to criticize him. They seek the Lord to reject him. And that seeking does not lead to life. A sobering reminder that as we look at that example of Israel in the desert and how easily the heart can go from trusting the Lord to suspicion in the Lord, we want to pray for that great grace with which we began the Mass, asking that we might persevere in the goodness in this way that we have begun so that through that perseverance our seeking may always be that seeking that leads to life. And how wonderful it is that in just a couple minutes here in this place, more a garden than a desert, we come forward and we'll stretch out our hands to something greater than the manna that sustained Israel. Because the very bread of angels, he who is the bread of life, will be here. Let us not in our hearts grumble and say, oh, this again? Why this wretched food? How silly, how horrible it sounds to say that. And yet the heart is fickle. Let us then rouse our hearts to faith. Let us feast on him with joy, knowing, knowing 
that it is this very food that carries us through every desert the world presents. It is this food that sustains us even unto eternity itself. Amen.